Tonight, our topic is uh, the Ten Imperfections of Insight, um, Part 1, and then uh, tomorrow night will be uh, Part 2. Now, what happens uh, is in the meditation practice that uh, when meditators um, you know, practice um, you know, well, you know, diligently, as um, all of you are you know, doing, and um, uh, this not just uh, you know, for a few hours, but uh, you know, for you know, you know, well, hour after hour, day after day, you know, then changes occur, and. Um, what we've done uh, so far uh, over you know, the last uh, few demo talks, you know, we've tried to uh, cover you know, what's uh, happening in you know, the meditation practice for you know, the meditators. And uh, I've tried hard not to uh, go ahead too much, but not to lag behind too much. So you know, to you know, get it just uh, right for the majority of uh, you know, the meditators. Now, the Pali you know, term you know, for you know, these ten imperfections, sometimes also you know, referred to as the ten you know, corruptions of insight, is dasa vipassana upakilesa. Dasa stands for ten, and vipassana you know already is insight, and upakilesa are your defilements or are your corruptions or uh, imperfections, impurities, uh, anything uh, that spoils or obstructs. And uh, these occur, or these ten imperfections of insight, as the name already indicates, are somewhat unique as a whole to the practice of Vipassana. Now, when a meditator has clearly comprehended the three universal characteristics of anicca, dukkha, and anatta, so impermanence and then suffering or unsatisfactoriness and non-self, and then continues to continues with the meditation, and then very soon will the meditator realize that certain things have changed. And the mind overall becomes calmer, cleaner, uh, or clearer, and uh, more serene. And uh, uh, it seems that uh, the unwholesome mental states then previously had uh, given a meditator so much uh, trouble, uh, these have uh, subsided. And um, once uh, these uh, mental uh, defilements, and in particular the hindrances, have uh, lost uh, their uh, momentum, uh, then wholesome mental states have uh, the chance uh, to arise in the stream of consciousness. Now, among these ten imperfections of insight, nine are... Uh, inherently wholesome you know, mental states, whereas uh, you know, the last one is inherently an unwholesome you know, one. And we'll go more into this uh, later on. 
Now, there are four, you know, these ten imperfections, there are two major sources where you know, they are described. One is the path of purification, the so-called Visuddhimagga in its twentieth chapter, paragraph 105 and following paragraphs. And then these ten imperfections are also mentioned in the Abhidhamata Sangha, namely you know, the compendium or manual of you know, the Abhidhamma, so key work and introductory you know, work. And um, in, well, in the case of the way you know, these imperfections are mentioned, the serial order in the Visuddhimagga is different from you know, the serial order you know, as given in you know, the Abhidhamata Sangha. And the order which makes uh, the more the sense from a practical you know, point of view is uh, the order from you know, the Visuddhi Maga, which you know, and it's this order that we're going to you know, follow. Now, these ten imperfections uh, of insight occur, as uh, mentioned, when a meditator has uh, brought uh, the third insight knowledge, the knowledge of comprehension or by comprehension, to uh, maturity, and they occur during the fourth insight knowledge. Now, the fourth insight knowledge gets further subdivided into two parts, namely its ten tender phase and the mature phase. And these ten imperfections occur during the tender phase of the fourth insight knowledge. And then during the mature phase, the situation or the picture changes somewhat or significantly. Now, those ten imperfections and the vast majority of you has experienced at least some of them, the first ones, maybe not all, but at least some, are as follows. Namely, illumination given in the Pali scripture language as obasa, and then the second one is knowledge given in the Pali scripture language as jnana. Then we have joy or rapture as number three, piti in the Pali scripture language, and uh, then, as uh, number four, we have uh, tranquility, which is uh, referred to in Pani as Pasadi. And uh, then, as number uh, five comes uh, uh, happiness, uh, which is given as Sukha in the Pani scriptural language. And uh, then, the next one is uh, given in English as determined uh, faith, and in Pani, you know, the term for this is uh, Adi Mokha. And uh, then number uh, seven is uh, energy, Pagha in Pani, and uh, then. The eighth one is given as establishment, and uh, the Pani term for this is upatana, and this uh, uh, refers uh, simply to uh, mindfulness uh, itself, and actually strong mindfulness. 
And so, then as number nine comes equanimity, given in Pali as upeka, and the last one, which is the unwholesome one, is attachment nikanti in Pali. Now, what happens is that when you know, these imperfections start occurring, then at least for some meditators, and I'm saying some, not all, um, they may you know, begin with the experience of uh, illumination. Various forms of illumination coming uh, in the form of uh, seeing various kinds of lights, and uh, sometimes it feels uh, as if uh, this uh, a person, another person is holding a flashlight or directing uh, or shining a flashlight right into our face and so that other times we you know, this uh, you know, experience comes in the form of you know, seeing uh, well a multitude of lights like fireworks or you know, some brilliant lights or you know, sometimes uh, you know, well it seems as if light is emanating from uh, the body and um, now this particular um, experience of illumination can be quite uh, uh, well outstanding and so so what may happen is uh, that uh, even uh, if one is well in a place like this with no uh, electric, uh, no electricity, and no candescent or fluorescent uh, lights, well, one sits in meditation, and then one might find that certain light arises within the body, and then it emanates from the body, maybe covering the area of one's certain seat and um, <clears throat> now depending on the you know, strength of uh, one's certain concentration you know, this experience of illumination you know, can get much stronger now to give you an illustration for this, an illustration that stems from the Visuddhimagga and apparently in the old days, so this many centuries ago, there were a monastery existed in a place called Chittala Pabata, so that's the so-called Chittala mountain. And so it so happened you know, during um, a dark night. You know, it was the dark side of you know, the moon, so not full moon, new moon. And so, you know, so two monastics were sharing a building, and both of them were practicing, you know, just like you, Satipatthana intensively. And so, you know, one the room was, or the building was, you know, uh, well, separated into you know, two, you know, two parts and so two rooms. And so, you know, so then, in the middle of the night, these two monastics, uh, they were practicing and then you know, they got together for a chat. 
and so the first one says to the second one, the second monastic, uh, just imagine what I just experienced, namely uh, a tremendous amount of light started arising in the body and this light then started emanating from the body and it emanated all the way up to the shrine area where there is a table there and then where devotees had placed flowers in five different colors. So his line was emanating, was lighting up that shrine area. And to this, the second monastic says, you think this is wonderful, this is nothing. And I just practiced, and just like you, intensively, and uh, then a strong lights uh, arose certainly uh, within the body, and it certainly uh, was so strong uh, that it uh, even lit up uh, the ocean uh, nearby, so that I could see uh, the fish and the turtle uh, swimming around at a distance of one or two leagues, and. So so this then gives you an idea that there is a variety to this experience and some experience, some actually don't really experience this illumination and some to experience it to some extent and some to a great extent. Now, Sometimes you know, meditators who don't experience this illumination you know, think or, or end up you know, thinking that there's something wrong with their practice. Maybe you know, you know, during interview, group interview or so, they hear some other meditators reporting uh, illumination experiences and they themselves are trying so hard and there's just no illumination to be gained. And uh, so they think there's something wrong you know, with their you know, practice. But you know, to assure Sure you. Uh, this is not a problem uh, whatsoever. In some you know, meditators it just happens, in others it doesn't. And if it doesn't happen, uh, the practice will still you know, unfold uh, further. And so um, it says in the Visuddhimagga. Uh, that uh, some mm, were able to, um, well, uh, have this uh, effect of illumination go uh, for several several leagues, so which is many, many miles, and in the case of the Buddha, even for several, uh, what was it, uh, well, great uh, distances up to uh, the Brahma world, if I'm not mistaken. And now, when a meditator has a pronounced experience of uh, illumination, as certain described, then three dangers, three potential dangers loom. And certain, what are those certain dangers? Who knows? Attachment, Attachment yes. And so instead of attachment, you can say even more precisely. Conceit. 
concede is uh, no, no, the second one. Yes, and Stagnation, that will be the result uh, uh, of these dangers. Well, the last one is wrong view, and uh, no, the first one is craving. And, uh, no, of course, attachment is a form of uh, craving. Now, the way this happens is that the experience is so outstanding, or maybe so outstanding, that a meditator... Uh, then you know, thinks, wow, this is really far out. And uh, let me see if I can repeat you know, the experience the next uh, sitting. And uh, that maybe I can enjoy it. And, uh, and so, you know, forget about um, all these instructions, meditation instructions of uh, you know, being mindful and uh, of observing you know, whatever predominant object arises in a non-attached manner and a non-reactive manner uh, after so much uh, suffering, physical and mental suffering uh, experienced just a while ago, I really have deserved a break. I really deserved to have some you know, wonderful experiences and here comes one, let me grasp it and hold on to it as much as possible. And so, so this would be uh, one, uh, uh, one danger. And so the second danger lies in, well, one has an experience of illumination and it's quite, uh, uh, quite outstanding. And maybe it's so strong that here in this very meditation hall, uh, all of a sudden it lights up you know, the place. And so the fellow meditators are all surprised. Where does this light come from? <laughs> and uh, there may be... Maybe then Vallecitos Mountain Refuge will decide to keep you here <laughs> for future illumination. <laughs> that would save them a lot of uh, money for uh, the lamp oil. <laughs> Or maybe Beth will hire you for the kitchen and then she doesn't need to use the gas lamps anymore. So, anyways, since you are performing, performing a spectacular feat here with the illumination, well, and uh, you might uh, you know, realize, well, the others uh, you know, don't seem to be able to do the same thing. So you know, maybe I'm the only one uh, who is capable of this. So I must be a really uh, outstanding meditator. And uh, this then you know, naturally you know, leads to you know, the arising of pride and conceit. And so, you know, this is you know, then a real you know, danger for you know, the practice. Or um, what uh, might uh, happen too is that based on the same experience, a, medita a meditator then thinks, well, you know, the Buddha always spoke about enlightenment, and so now I have this wonderful illumination. This must be it. So the, the, what had to be attained has been attained. There is no future rebirth for me. And um, 
And so thinking like this, a person uh, might decide, okay, uh, why strive any further? Uh, the goal has been attained in the form of true, no- <coughs> sorry, true knowledge and certain liberation. Why stick around here any longer? I might as well go back. <laughs> and, um, um, and this would be a major mistake. And so uh, the mistake in all three cases lies uh, that if one develops a craving uh, for uh, illumination or uh, develops certain uh, some pride and conceit based on it or uh, develops some wrong view mistaking the experience to be an ebonic experience uh, then it will lead to a stagnation in one's meditation practice and what happens is since it is such a unique and uh, outstanding experience the mind gets fascinated with it and and it reverts back to it over and over and over again and it can't get enough uh, you know, experiencing it and so, so when it happens like this then one's practice is no longer moving ahead and so that's actually a pity because many better experiences remain to come now these three potential dangers uh, apply to all of the other remaining uh, imperfections and when saying three potential dangers it does not mean that a meditator will experience all three of them in each each of the imperfections some are wise enough and some are already or have developed into professional meditators so they can't be swayed by these imperfections anymore and they say uh, yeah, well, it's interesting, but you know, let's move on. Now, the second, uh, the second uh, uh, imperfection is uh, that of uh, knowledge, and uh, uh, this, in the Pali language, is given as jnana, and the Visuddhimagga explains this as uh, knowledge owing to insight. So this then makes it very clear you know, that uh, this is a knowledge that arises in the context of insight, certain uh, meditation, and not some other uh, type of uh, meditation. And so the way it's certainly being described is as an unerring, keen, incisive, and sharp knowledge. And so as sharp as a lightning flash. Now, the way this occurs in one's meditation practice is that the mind, or as soon as the mindfulness has landed on an object, right away knowledge about the nature of the object is there. And without having to spend much time on the object of observation. 
And it is in this context also that a meditator may have the impression as if he or she is gaining some discriminative knowledge, having heard of this term vaguely, not exactly knowing what it means, and then mistaking it. And so based and also in this context, one may then gain a deeper understanding into some theoretical points from the suttas or from the Abhidhamma, things that one has heard or has read about and previously one didn't understand, now they start making sense. And so, when it happens like this, then it's quite likely that a meditator again may fall into the trap of those three potential dangers. Now, when the, you know, the knowledge is keen and unerring and uh, incisive and uh, sharp, then uh, naturally one may think, well, it's, uh, one will compare this you know, to what one's knowledge was like you know, uh, earlier on, I mean, frequently you know, quite dull, and so you know, one you know, takes a liking to it and you know, then develops a craving you know, for this certain you know, sharp knowledge. Or, uh, based on you know, one's you know, very you know, penetrative and deep uh, insights into you know, the nature of uh, mind and uh, matter, one might be misled to, to you know, think that one knows more now you know, than you know, one's fellow meditators or one's, even one's teacher, and uh, you know, that one then uh, uh, is uh, already qualified for teaching. And based on this, then, fright and conceit may uh, arise. And in the last case, one might mistake this keen and unerring and incisive and sharp knowledge to be related to the supramundane path and knowledge, and the path knowledge and the fruition knowledge, and uh, then um, again, uh, this will mislead, or, or this will uh, lead, in all three cases, to stagnation of uh, one's meditation practice. Now, from an experiential point of view, hearing you know, the reports of meditators you know, during interviews over you know, a number of years now, um, this particular aspect, the meditate about certain you know, very sharp you know, knowledge, meditators frequently don't certain you know, report you know, that much. Now, probably, probably it's there, but it goes somewhat uh, unnoticed. Now, 
what is or the, the imperfection that is really uh, outstanding uh, and uh, that meditators uh, frequently do report is uh, that of uh, joy and rapture. So the third one. And this uh, joint rapture again is certain owing to insight and um, here you know, this is certain important now, joint rapture may also arise in the context of samatha meditation so when we develop the absorptions the jhanas and some, you know, as part of the first jhana uh, you know, joint rapture figures as uh, you know, the third uh, jhanic uh, factor if we uh, base it on uh, the you know, fivefold uh, way of uh, reckoning. And so, so then you know, the question may arise: you know, joy you know, that or, you know, uh, you know, that arises in the meditation practice. Or this type of joy, is it owing to jhana practice or is it owing to uh, insight practice? And here, uh, the Visuddhimagga clearly states you know, what is uh, what we mean is uh, you know, joy or rapture you know, owing to insight uh, meditation. And so this you know, joint rapture finds, or the you know, the cause for its arising, lies in the fact that a meditator has not too long ago overcome all you know, the major you know, physical you know, pains and aches, and on top of this, uh, also uh, you know, the you know, five hindrances, which early on gave uh, you know, so much uh, trouble. And so in the absence of uh, you know, those uh, um, hindrances and pains and aches, naturally gladness arises in the mind and so, you know, this is said so, you know, to you know, be a weak form of joint rapture and so it may then you know, turn even turn into the stronger you know, joy and rapture, Balawabiti in the Pali you know, scriptural language. Now Joy and rapture can be experienced in different ways. It's not just that we experience it as rapture, but we may also experience it as interest, taking much or taking renewed interest in in the meditation practice and being enthusiastic about our meditation. Even for some meditators, getting excited about what is happening or it may also manifest in the form of elation. So joy, rapture, zest, interest, enthusiasm, excitement, elation are some of the ways how this beauty may manifest. And From this, um, or in, in this connection, there's something you know, we can learn, namely, 
when it may happen in our mentation practice and that we are overcome by boredom uh, with the predominant uh, phenomena. So having to observe the same objects over and over and over again may lead to boredom. Now if this is the case, what to do in order to overcome the boredom? One way, one approach would be to arouse sudden joy and rapture. So maybe you know, to look at the objects uh, in, a, in a different way or from a different uh, aspect or angle and suddenly then you know, to investigate suddenly this object and suddenly then when one finds something new interest is suddenly there and the interest suddenly will you know, then uh, dispel the boredom so um, the board the the antithesis or the antidote to boredom or one of the antidotes to boredom could be given as certain joint rapture in the form of taking interest. Now, since you know, joint rapture is uh, you know, part of our you know, meditation practice or becomes part of our meditation practice, we might as well um, get familiar you know, with uh, its uh, definition so that we you know, then you know, recognize it more easily you know, should it arise again in the future. And piti is said to, to have the characteristic of endearing, which means it makes you, you know, somewhat lovable or, you know, or endearing. Others will you know, like you and so, or will high, hold you in uh, esteem. The Pali for this is Sampiyayana and you know, the function of uh, joint rapture when it arises in the mind is uh, to you know, refresh you know, the mind and body this is one function and you know, the second function is uh, you know, to pervade namely to pervade you know, you know, the body you know, with a thrill with a thrill of uh, rapture and the classical fourfold definition for BT says that its manifestation lies in elation. And so, um, in other words, when we feel elated, then there is usually some um, bubbly energy to it. So the Venerable Sadhu Pandita of Burma, you know, frequently when he talks about Piti, he mentions this particular aspect. There's some uh, bubbly uh, energy you know, to you know, this mental state. And in a while we'll see you know, that it's different from another mental state you know, that uh, people easily confuse, uh, namely you know, Sukha or you know, happiness, which is much uh, calmer. And so the body and the mind uh, are said you know, to be you know, the proximate cause you know, for the arising of you know, this joy and uh, rapture. Now, when 
and joy and rapture beauty arises in our meditation practice as part of the uh, imperfections and then it may manifest in different uh, you know, ways and the texts speak of five kinds of joy and rapture namely minor joy kudakapiti in the Pali scripture language and then momentary joy kanikapiti in Pali then you know, showering joy okantikapiti in Pali and then we have the so-called uplifting joy you know, Ubegabiti in Pali, and the last one is the pervading you know, joy, you know, which in the Pali scripture language is given as Faranabiti. Now, um, you may not necessarily you know, know what is meant by you know, these uh, five. Now, the most simple type and the weakest type comes in the form of minor you know, joy and rapture. And minor joint rapture, kudakabiti, frequently is experienced as chills and thrills in the body. So, chills and thrills running through the body, and meditators also frequently report something goose flesh. You say goose flesh or goosebumps? Either one. So, um, those certain three new things and um, to this one can still somewhat certain relate however when it comes to the second kind of joint rapture namely the momentary joy it comes in a form that most people don't necessarily consider as a form of joy or rapture. Namely, and the term is indicative, momentary joy. So, sudden flashes of electric current that are rushing through the body and that may cause a meditator to, or may cause of you know, sudden jolts of uh, you know, the body and uh, so uh, a current of uh, electricity so it seems running through the body you know, like uh, sometimes as if uh, one you know, were you know, hit by you know, a flash of uh, or you know, struck by lightning and uh, um, yeah mostly you know, mostly that and so and then frequently meditators say, what does this have to do with joy and rapture? This is not all that pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, first of all, it's, uh, usually it comes as a surprise. Uh, you know, there's no announcement there. And then you know, oftentimes these experiences can be actually quite, uh, quite strong. And so, you know, then afterwards, one, you know, no one is happy to have survived. <laughs> now, the third, the third kind of joint rapture is easier to handle, 
and it's milder. And so, you know, this is the so-called showering joy, Okanti Kapiti in the Pali scriptural language. Now, the illustration that uh, the Visuddhi Magra gives for this is, it's as if one were to sit at so, you know, the beach somewhere, and then some bigger wave is coming in, and then breaking across you know, the body, and the water is showering all over you know, the body. So, you know, this kind of you know, illustration, or this illustration gives you an idea of you know, what is meant by you know, the experience. Now, um, quite um, quite overwhelming at times can be you know, the experience of uh, the so-called uplifting you know, joy and rapture ubegapiti in uh, the Pali scriptural language now this when it's at its best and it's considered a form of stronger joint rapture, may cause a meditator to literally get tossed off his or her meditation cushion. And so, so, if this happens to you in the midst of a sitting, uh, and you're you're part of a group sitting, and everyone else is so quiet, and all of a sudden there's a big bang. (laughs) And so, now you are ending up on the on the floor, and you don't quite know how you got there. Now then, uh, this uh, yeah, this is really something else. And uh, once what happened in Lubini, uh, during one of our winter retreats there, longer winter retreat, we had a group of, uh, rather a number of, uh, a strong group of meditators with uh, a number of them quite, uh, quite advanced. And so the, the good ones were sitting in, in the front row, you know, with the Buddha statue in, uh, in the front. And so... Uh, then, so four or five of them in in one row, you know, semi in a semicircle, and then within one in the same sitting, one meditator jolts up to one side, and uh, yeah, then all of a sudden another meditator jolts to the other side. Then, you know, not too you know, long after this, a third one gets literally, like I said, tossed off the cushion, ends up on the floor. And so, and then maybe oh, and one uh, uh, and one experienced uh, you know, this uplifting joy in the literal sense of the whole body being you know, moved upward, you know, pushed upward, catapulted upward, uh, and falling back onto the cushion. So you can imagine. Uh, with three or four events like this, you know, all the other meditators were giggling and laughing. <laughs> and they were surely, especially the newer ones, they were surely wondering, my goodness, what is happening in this meditation practice? Is this really safe? <laughs> is this safe for consummation? <laughs> And uh, what if I continued, you know, will I end up just like you know, these meditators in the front row? And so, you know, so this was really, you know, really something. 
And so I remember having heard uh, another story, but apparently it really happened, at the Mahasi Meditation Center in Burma. So it's the main main center where the Venerable Mahasi Sada taught for many decades. And so it seemed in the 1980s uh, that uh, at one point uh, there was a Thai monastic, a Thai monk, practicing there. And I never, I didn't meet them, or I never had a chance to meet this person, just heard about him. Anyways, he was practicing not in the meditation hall, but rather in his room. So we had, you know, were the foreign foreigners' quarters there, one for the men, one for the women. So he was practicing in his room, and the rooms there all had mosquito screens, and so apparently he was experiencing these imperfections of insight, and quite on a regular basis he would experience this uplifting joy uh, every day in the afternoon at a certain time. And so then he himself was quite surprised and then he invited the other foreigners who were you know, staying at the foreigner's lodge, well if you want to see something unusual please feel free to stand in front of you know, the window at 4 p.m. this afternoon. So I suppose everyone lined up and had the appointed you know, this Thai monk was sitting there on his bed and, and you can imagine the bed is somewhat off, off the ground and the beds there are actually quite high and so at the appointment so he was sitting there the others were peeping into, into the room and, and then all of a sudden a huge well a huge force throws him off his cushion and he lands on the, on the floor and no so, uh, these kind of things happen. Um, although, mm, apparently, mm, you know, so far, you know, no one has uh, really, or no one really ended up with any major injury, like, you know, <laughs> broken bones and uh, the like. <coughs> um, Now here, here we all have these wonderful cushions. So, and I guess if Ubega Beauty happens to to one of us, then it should be all right. Now. So apart from this uh, Ubega Piti, uh, there is the last one given as pervading joy, Farana Piti, and uh, this is uh, described as an extremely uh, subtle, uh, subtle uh, sensation, very subtle, refined uh, sensation, blissful uh, sensation uh, that uh, goes uh, through uh, the entire uh, body. And certainly, so this can be quite, uh, um, or one can easily get attached to it. Now, with regard to 
Now these in order to join the rapture in its five different forms, one may easily develop, one may get attached, and one may also develop a craving for it, or like maybe the Thai monk then gets proud and conceited, and or one may mistake the experience to be a super mundane experience. Now, um, in all three cases, if one you know, falls uh, prey to you know, these uh, dangers, then it would lead to a stagnation in one's meditation practice. Now, with regard to joy and the next imperfection of insight, which is certain tranquility, meditators easily get attached to it. And the problem lies in these experiences are so no, 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 well so wonderful and so, so different from you know, the ordinary that a meditator you know, really you know, then indulges in these experiences and wants to you know, go on experiencing it for longer and longer you know, stretches of time and one person has uh, expressed this uh, in the following uh, words, namely celebrating this joy and uh, uh, tranquility. So, so, getting or, or, uh, well, getting totally uh, attached uh, to it. Now, the fourth Imperfection of insight is uh, that of uh, tranquility, basadi. And uh, this basadi is uh, a mental state uh, that is quite prevalent uh, in uh, the meditation practice and uh, it's a very useful uh, mental state. Instead of saying calmness, we can also say stillness, or we could refer to it as serenity, or as tranquility, or as peace, or peacefulness, or coolness of mind. And since this is a mental state that we might experience, or that we surely will experience many more times, we might as well become familiar with it, not just from a theoretical point of view, but also from a practical point of view. Now, this tranquility is defined by the the Sudimaga as having the characteristic of um, quieting down the disturbances of uh, the mind. 
So, uh, let's say, uh, as an example, first, the mind is agitated uh, through uh, either restlessness or you know, remorse or you know, worry. And uh, so the mind is going here and there, and so it's everything you know, but something calm. And then gradually, um, gradually the tranquility comes in. And as uh, tranquility as a mental factor comes in, then it will lead to this calming down or quieting down of the disturbances. And this literally means that the movements in the mind start to well, decrease more and more until there is a real stillness of the mind. And it's sometimes like the surface of some mountain lake, some alpine lake with no breeze. So the surface of an alpine lake will be very, very still and even. The function of this certain tranquility or calmness is given as to crush such disturbances and it is said to manifest as peacefulness or as peacefulness and coolness and the proximate cause for the arising of uh, tranquility is given as the body and uh, as the mental body and consciousness. And uh, this tranquility is uh, said to be rightly so, uh, the opposed or the you know, well, the opposite you know, to restlessness and certain you know, worry or remorse, and both of these mental factors you know, bring about agitation of uh, the mind. Now, this tranquility, um, just like the joy and rapture, is or arises owing to the insight meditation. And so, along uh, with it, go a number of other mental states such as lightness in the Pali language given as lahuta and then furthermore as pliancy mudutta or the malleability of the mind and then wieldiness of the mind kamanyata and then sharpness of the mind bagunyata and rectitude of the mind, Ujukata in the Pali scriptural language. And uh, for the time being, let me pick just uh, one or two out of those, uh, and uh, I'll explain the others uh, probably tomorrow. Now, lightness is to be taken literally. It is lightness of uh, the mind and it also is uh, or manifests then as lightness in the body. And so it can manifest as lightness during this lightness of the body, during sitting meditation as well as walking meditation. Now 
when calmness arises in you know, the you know, practice of a meditator, and this meditator reports it, it's almost like a dead sure. Now, the question you know, when I ask, did you experience some lightness or not? Almost in all cases, will you know, the meditator ask, oh, no, 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 respond that yes, indeed, uh, lightness uh, was there. So there's a strong connection between uh, those two. Uh, mental states and so this lightness in the sitting meditation may be experienced as sometimes as lightness of the upper part of the body and sometimes people say the lower part is somewhat heavy or in the walking meditation meditators who experience it strongly may say they feel like floating in the air or like walking on a cloud so it's something that is a particular experience that is different from the ordinary. Now, as for ujukata, the last one, rectitude, um, when this mental state arises, and then it brings about a change in behavior, in mental behavior of uh, the person. So, even if a, or, or if a meditator previously was somewhat um, dishonest and prone to um, well prone to deceit and certain fraudulence then and pretends. Um, deceit and pretends, then these negative uh, uh, qualities will be uh, substituted by rectitude or uprightness of uh, the mind. So, uh, this satya comes in the following uh, form, namely, one let's say one doesn't have certain wholesome qualities however one pretends to have those wholesome qualities so that's one thing that's pretends and so the other one is certain kind of deceiving having some fault um, or having committed some some offense or so one covers it up and certainly then creates the impression as if uh, uh, nothing has uh, happened so Ujukata, rectitude of the mind, cuts through both of these negative mental patterns. Now, let's see, when we undergo intensive meditation practice, we do undergo changes. It's not that we start on day one and and then after maybe 20 days of intensive practice or one month of intensive practice, we are exactly the same person as we were uh, in the beginning. Not so. But rather, as Kate Wheeler um, 
uh, the writer and editor has suddenly described it uh, at the end of uh, one of Sadhu Pandita's retreats uh, in, at the forest refuge in Barry as a meditator where's more something not like being stuck into or put into a laundry machine and uh, you know, then you know, laundry powder being added detergent being added and uh, you know, then some cold and then the machine being switched on you know, cold water you know, flowing into the laundry machine and then you know, the laundry machine starts uh, you know, operating spinning and uh, or revolving and so uh, and then we end up all dizzy and <laughs> and you know, the tumbling in you know, there and all of the impurities and stains you know, that we've brought along um, gradually well they get uh, uh, well, uh, removed and then oh and then as we're in the laundry machine you know, first cold and then we're being you know, subjected to the hot water treatment and uh, the ones We've survived that. You know, then eventually, you know, eventually they'll be. You know, uh, well, the water gets pumped up and pumped off, and you know, then they'll be you know, the spinning and you know, the drying. And finally, when all the program, when the program has run its course, you know, then we come all clean uh, out of the laundry machine. So. The same thing happens in, or this is actually what happens in the practice, figuratively speaking. So, <laughs> so uh, when you when you go for a retreat, don't don't think this is going to be some mild program, but rather some well effective program, and so. Since the attainment of path and fruition knowledge, so supermundane path and fruition knowledge, um, requires, or since that experience itself is an experience of purity, it requires that we prepare the ground for this. And this is best done by you know, well observing presets and certainly uh, by you know, changing our you know, well verbal and you know, bodily you know, ways of you know, doing things and so, you know, then also by changing our mental ways and if we find that, you know, that you know, over you know, the years we've accumulated some you know, bad you know, mental habits or patterns you know, then you know, we should you know, recognize these and you know, let go of them as quickly as, as we can and replace them by wholesome you know, patterns so the meditation practice can be described as a process of uh, you know, well in several you know, stages or places where the unwholesome gets replaced by the wholesome. And when Ujjukata arises here as part of the imperfections of insight, then this would be one such case. Now, The next uh, and uh, last uh, imperfection for uh, tonight is uh, going to be uh, that of uh, happiness. Or maybe, sorry, before we go on to happiness, 
um, in the case of tranquility, just like with the other you know, imperfections mentioned earlier on, three you know, potential dangers, loom and sadness. So um, if we are an uninformed meditator, you know, then we may crave for the, for, you know, the you know, tranquility more and more, and uh, we may end up uh, getting you know, proud and conceited because of the experience, or we may you know, mistake you know, the stillness of the mind to be uh, an experience of uh, Nibbana when of course it's not uh, the case yet. So uh, if one falls prey to one of these uh, one or two or all of these uh, dangers then naturally one's practice is going to stagnate and uh, stagnation of the practice is actually just the minimum consequence. The maximum consequence is what? Reverse. Yes. Uh, a reverse or a nose dive, no, 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 pretty sudden nose dive in one's practice. So the practice collapses to some extent, and to a meditator's consternation, one finds oneself experiencing again what? Who can who can answer this by experience? Ah, you're saying five, the five, <laughs> the five hindrances. So if one hasn't had enough of the five experiences yet, <laughs> then the best way to re-experience them is just get attached to, attach and crave for the tranquility, and get proud and conceited because of it, or mistake it for nibbana, and the dhamma will do its work. In and so you'll soon be welcoming the hindrances again. So the, the next certain imperfection, number five, is certainly that of happiness, sukha, in the Pali scriptural language. And so, as usual, the Visuddhimagga points out this happiness is a happiness that arises owing to insight meditation. And again here, this qualification is necessary to discern it or to distinguish it from happiness that might also arise in the context of the Samatha meditation. So, when you practice for the jhanas or absorptions, then one of the jhanic factors is certain sukha or happiness. And so, so what we mean here is not the sukha from you know, the samatha meditation, but the sukha from uh, the insight meditation. And so this happiness is so, uh, said to be an exceedingly refined type of uh, happiness that floods uh, you know, the entire you know, body of uh, a meditator. Now, again, in our attempt to become well familiar with sukha, when it arises in our practice both from a practical as well as a theoretical point of view, let us look at its classical definition. And so the characteristic of sukha, happiness, is given as experiencing a, ten, a desirable, tangible object, and 
understand its function is to intensify you know, the associated uh, mental states so you know, to um, strengthen them and the, it manifests as bodily enjoyment and in the case of mental uh, happiness or uh, then uh, in that sense it's known as somanasa gladness it has the characteristic of experiencing um, a, ten, a desirable object and its function is to relish uh, to relish in one or in one way or another now that certain desirable aspect and it certain is manifested as mental uh, enjoyment and the proximate cause you know, for you know, the arising of this uh, Salmanasa is tranquility. So what you find with this, with this last point, is a connection, a causal connection between the mental factor of tranquility or the imperfection you know, of tranquility and um, you know, happiness. So when tranquility is there, then you know, usually it leads to the arising of uh, happiness. Now, this uh, happiness as an imperfection of insight has been you know, described in you know, various ways. The Venerable Mahasi side of Burma describes it as waves of satisfaction going through you know, the body or you know, experiencing a pleasant, you know, soothing, um, soothing sensations. One feels very happy. And you know, sometimes certain meditators say they've never in their life felt this certain happy. And so, or you know, the same thing goes for you know, gladness. And some, one you know, foreign meditator you know, once you know, put it in the following words. You know, he said, you know, one feels like being on the top of uh, the world. Now, the Venerable Nasaru Pandita points out in connection you know, with you know, happiness you know, the, following, uh, the following aspects, namely that when happiness, the mental you know, state uh, or imperfection of uh, uh, the happiness is there, then a meditator will ex physically experience either no pains or only very few. And so on top of this, you know, frequently when I ask meditators whether they, you know, whether their body feels uh, you know, all tensed up or you know, relaxed, the answer to this is uh, uh, clearly uh, relaxed. And so, uh, then uh, Mary, when the happiness is present, one feels like uh, like what? The body feels like what? <laughs> you mentioned something something different during the interview today. What about that massage? <laughs> one feels, you know, to quote Mary, you know, one feels like having had a full body massage. So, all 
all the stresses and tensions are gone. And so one feels like all like renewed. And some meditators say the body feels rubber-like. Now, um, this particular experience of happiness may manifest even further, namely as a sense of bodily as well as mental ease, or uh, as meditators might say, as of the bodily and mental sense of well-being. And so, so there are different shades to you know, this certain experience. Now, sometimes meditators also you know, may you know, say, well, there's a sense of enjoyment there, and, uh, and that's pleasantness, pleasure, you know, bliss. You know, these would be uh, other you know, ways of you know, putting it. Now, when we experience uh, this uh, happiness as an imperfection of insight, it is definitely much calmer than uh, joy. Now, it's not uncommon to um, hear meditators say, well, I experienced much, uh, much joy, and, uh, uh, and then... Um, and then when I keep on, and they say only joy, and then when I keep uh, digging a little bit or fishing, um, then they say, well, yeah, there's uh, the body is relaxed and there are no major pains there, and so, um, a certain sense of ease and well-being is there. And then I ask, oh, well, would you agree to call this happiness? And the person says, yes, no, why not? Yes, indeed. And so, and then what we have is that the meditator is experiencing not just joy, but also happiness. But doesn't, at that point, doesn't know to make the difference or to discern the two from one another. So, what the meditation practice does is, uh, it helps the meditator tremendously to gain a much better understanding, not just of bodily formations, but in particular of mental, uh, mental states, mental factors. And so, you know, to then you know, clearly recognize, okay, this is joy, you know, so here's joy, there is certain tranquility, and then uh, over there we have uh, happiness. And these uh, are not necessarily uh, the same. And so once one knows this, then in the future it's so much easier. And so now, human beings very much go in pursuit of happiness. And so various kinds of happiness are around. For um, an ordinary person, uh, happiness is uh, attained by doing what? Normally in society, uh, how do we uh, get happy? Sense pleasures. Sense pleasures. No, yes, indeed. And so no, no, then what, no, what do we do with these sense pleasures? 
Are we indulging them? Yes, indeed. And can you give some more you know, practical examples? Food. Food. Uh, yes, food. And then indulging in the you know, pleasures of the eyes, satisfying you know, those, and of the ears. So you know, they may be listening to some music and uh, or you know, enjoying you know, the chirping of the birds and uh, or hearing. Uh, you know, some you know, sweet uh, you know, voice and, uh, and so on and so forth. Now, um, and then included in you know, these expressions, indulgence in the sense pleasures, are you know, uh, very common human activities such as uh, maybe drinking. So, drinking, you know, drinking wine. And so society, especially in the wine-producing countries, um, teaches us that, um, uh, well, uh, lunch goes with a glass of wine, and dinner also goes with a glass of wine. And uh, then there are even the specifications for certain kind of fish, you need red wine, and for another type of fish, a white wine, and so on and so forth. And if one doesn't follow these certain uh, social uh, conventions, uh, one, is, one becomes an outcast. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, then, as a person growing into our you know, wonderful society, um, one then you know, learns, well, you know, drinking wine you know, brings me happiness. So I'm all jolly and uh, cracking jokes all the time, and uh, so this must be the ultimate in terms of uh, happiness. And so as we sit together and are having, enjoying our dinner and drinking you know, wine, uh, well, it's not just one glass of wine, but it's two, and then it's five, and then it's uh, maybe a few more. And so the next morning, one wakes up with a headache. Now, this is one of the consequences, of potential consequences, of indulgence in the sense pleasures. Now, when it comes to the imperfection, or experiencing the imperfection of happiness, you see, is that the same as uh, drinking five to ten glasses of wine <laughs> and getting married? Or doing, doing, uh, what's that? Yeah, getting, uh, being married. So, is it the same or not? So, you know, while you're sitting here in meditation and so happiness certainly comes up, you know, then, um, you also end up with a headache? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Obviously not. And so, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to, well, we've just, um, elucidated the, uh, one of the disadvantages of indulging in uh, ordinary sense pleasures, like uh, you know, drinking wine, namely the headache as one consequence, and so, now, what can you, or when it comes to the happiness as an imperfection of insight, what do you see as its uh, the most uh, uh, dangerous, uh, dangerous consequence, if at all? Becoming attached to 
Uh, yes, getting attached. There you go. Getting attached or falling into one of those uh, pitfalls, namely craving uh, pride and conceit and uh, uh, the wrong view, and as a result of this, one's practice stagnates uh, or uh, drops off. Now, mm, when it comes to this imperfection of insight, do you need to sit here in the meditation practice with a glass, with a bottle of wine and a glass uh, uh, in front of you or not? No? Is this necessary? It's not necessary. And so it's a kind of happiness that arrives or that we get to in a different way. So what do we need to do? to experience this happiness? Well, just meditate, of course. And what the Buddha tries to bring across is that there are various kinds of happiness around. There is the happiness that arises, as we've discussed, when we indulge in the sense pleasures, and it has its uh, consequences. And uh, uh, the consequences may be dangerous, or like Sadhu Pandita likes to point out, uh, they can be even fatal. However, there is a different kind of happiness around, um, that comes or that arises out of the meditation practice and such as the imperfection of uh, uh, imperfection of happiness and there is no major uh, danger or it's not in any uh, uh, great sense uh, dangerous or fatal and so it is the second type of happiness is not a type of happiness that depends on indulging in sense pleasures, drinking wine or beer or uh, going to the movies and so on, but rather a type of happiness that arises out of the purity of one's certain meditation practice and uh, putting it differently, that arises out of the purity of the mind. And so so among the two, namely happiness that certainly we derive from indulging in sense pleasures and the happiness that arises out of uh, um, the meditation practice, which one do you prefer? The first or the second? The second. Is there anyone who disagrees with this? <laughs> so there is a definite positive quality to this happiness as an imperfection of insight. And we can add two other qualities, namely the joint rapture and the joint rapture and tranquility. And so these three together make up what is known as Dhamma delight. And this Dhamma delight is said by the Buddha by far to Sell uh, the delight of ordinary uh, men and uh, women. And so, so reaching, as uh, most of you have already, this imperfection of happiness, um, is this the end of the road? Is this the ultimate? Is this the ultimate form of happiness? It's not. 
indeed. And uh, the Buddha vouches that there is a happiness available that goes even far beyond uh, this happiness as an imperfection of insight. And that happiness is certain, a non-sensate non type of happiness, namely the happiness of uh, Nibbana. So, basically, what we need to understand from a meditator's point of view is, as a meditator, we gain access to certain wholesome experiences like happiness, tranquility, joy, and the equanimity, and so on, that are not available to the non-meditator. And when we compare the so-called kama sukha, kama means sense pleasure, sukha is happiness. So when we compare this kama sukha with the dhamma sukha, then clearly we can say you know, that the kama sukha is much coarser you know, than uh, the dhamma the sukha, the dhamma uh, happiness. And so, you know, so as meditators who've uh, uh, experienced this Dhamma Sukha, um, we know, you know that it is available, and especially in times of uh, you know, distress or so, you know, we then hit the cushion and we let the mind calm down, and sooner or later you know, some of this happiness and tranquility might arise, and so, you know, this thing you know, will change our outlook on life again. Now, we're already uh, slightly past 8 o'clock. Time goes by much faster than I thought. And uh, so, now let's uh, end at this point. Uh, of course, you understand uh, that uh, with regard to you know, Sukha, you know, the three same dangers are there. And uh, so, let me conclude you know, by wishing uh, that may all of you... Um, all of you who haven't experienced these imperfections yet, may you experience them you know, soon, within the next few hours. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and those who are already tasting some of them, you know, may you continue to you know, experience uh, you know, the, you know, the remaining. And may all of you, you know, then, uh, you know, feel greatly, uh, greatly encouraged and certainly very enthusiastic about certainly this certainly meditation practice and all its certainly wonderful benefits that it yields and it may, may lead you, you know, to continue with your meditation practice and lead you, you know, to you know, the ultimate goal, namely that non that non-sensate happiness of Nibbana. And this is it for tonight. Now, any any quick comments, questions, clarifying issues? Yes, Vivian. Wrong view with them? Yes, that's right. So they're not imperfections if you experience them, but just kind of let go? Yes, indeed.
No, that makes that makes the big difference. So tranquility as such is a wholesome mental state. But if it arises in connection with craving, you know, pride and conceit and wrong view, you know, then it turns into uh, a, an unwholesome product, uh, an unwholesome, or it, it turns into an imperfection. Then next question. Yes? The uh, illumination you talked about, is this something that um, can happen repeatedly? I mean, some people, um, if it happens, if you have a strong illumination experience, um, you may come to the realization that may not happen again, but there may be smaller, lesser experiences. I wonder if it's common that this would happen repeatedly. Oh, your question is good. The illumination experience may happen at, or seeing, to put it this way, seeing lights in the mind with eyes closed um, is not uncommon. And so it may happen at different points in one's meditation practice. Already, within just a few days into one's meditation retreat, with the development of some amount of concentration, so the mind gets concentrated and a meditator may see some uh, bright lights or even you know, some uh, colors no? and so, you know, then mm, let me see sometimes the same thing may also happen in the second insight knowledge to some extent and so, uh, then Sometimes, later on in the practice, the mind turns, uh, well, yeah, brightness, some brightness arises in the uh, in the mind, and so yeah, then yeah, it can turn into you know, much clarity. So. Uh, Sometimes, at, at some points, with some experiences, you know, meditators certainly say they see so much light, uh, it's as if being blinded, internally blinded by light. No. So, um, these illumination experiences occur in, in, at certain in different places in the practice, and so sometimes weaker, sometimes stronger. And maybe to add one more thing, um, in terms of colors, in Burma the, um, the notion is uh, you know, that uh, the stronger you know, one's concentration or the, the strength of one's concentration will determine you know, the color that one sees. And so, um, apparently, you know, when uh, strong medit- uh, strong or the you know, strongest concentration is present, you know, then you know, this leads uh, to an experience of white light. And so, seeing other colors uh, is said uh, to go along with less concentration, lesser degree of concentration. Then. Anything else? Yes, no, John. Um, when one is sitting, and let's say, uh, for example, one finds the supreme tranquility, 
Um, I take it the craving isn't would not would not be wanting to sit there with it, you know, like after the bell rings and extend your sitting, but the craving would come and wanting that every sitting. It's both. Yeah, John, it's both. Let's say tranquility, supreme tranquility has arisen in your practice, and so you disregard all the instructions about being mindful, and you just want to, you want to go on sitting longer and longer and longer, and you really want to enjoy it as much as possible. And so that is the one form of craving, and the other one is just like you described, you know, comes next sitting, you know, one barely sits down, you know, barely closes as close one's eye, and eyes, and so, you know, then you know, the thought crosses the mind, oh, it would be nice if I could get that uh, supreme tranquility back. But you did say in your instructions this morning that um, if you have the energy, and you didn't necessarily say tranquility, to go ahead and extend your sitting, um, you know, as long as you're comfortable with it so oh no no that is figure out you know do I just John that's in a different sense no when uh, energy as in the imperfection of insight is uh, predominant then to to make good use of that and to to sit longer but the the implication was not necessarily to go and indulge in tranquility for longer stretches but if you have the energy and the tranquility just happening yes and and so you extend your sitting not necessarily see that's what I'm trying to figure out here I have the energy, the tranquility is there, uh-huh. and the bell rings, and I say, well, you know, I'm going to sit here, uh-huh. because I have the energy. Uh-huh. And good, good, good. And to get up, just because I want to avoid the craving, so I'm trying to figure out how to balance that. Mm. Well, mm, the way to go is if you've uh, experienced that tranquility already several times and you're already quite familiar with it, then you could cut uh, things short by simply labeling and observing that uh, tranquility a little bit longer, maybe a few moments or so, and uh, then simply to ignore the tranquility as an object and then you bring your attention back to the observation of the rising falling or some other object and eventually the tranquility will subside. yeah, that's good. Thank you. No, the, but the temptation, of course, is, and certainly this is what I hear from you know, what you said, um, to you know sit longer and certainly then uh, experience the state uh, you know, somewhat longer, since it is uh, indeed somewhat uh, uh, unusual, different from uh, previous uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, in the back there. Randy. Back to the illusion experience. Um, is this a manifestation of in, impermanence in a universal sense? And the second part is um, if you felt emergence, you know, of the soul or impermanence with this light as a manifestation as. Kind of emergence of impermanence of that light. 
um, with your being or presence. Um, how is that experience related to, um, well, one, what you discussed, but also it seems like there's a similarity between that and um, you know what's described often in, in the experience of death, where there's a light emergence. Oh. Well, Randy, there it is, um, or at least there seems to be you know, a certain um, a certain similarity you know, between um, the unfolding of uh, you know, these different insight knowledges and the development of equanimity uh, towards the later parts of one's practice and uh, uh, the process of uh, dying, where you know, the death or, or the you know, the dying are also you know, said to uh, at first uh, then kind of struggle you know, with the fact of uh, the approaching death and uh, you know, rejecting it and uh, not you know, at first not coming to terms with it, but then gradually uh, becoming more accepting of it and you know, then uh, equanimity is there and oh. You're saying you know, a light experience is there. I've never heard this, but could, could well be. It would certainly even add then to the similarity you know, between uh, the process of you know, dying and the Vipassana practice. In Poltergeist, there was a light. Pardon me? <laughs> in Poltergeist, the movie. Oh, in Poltergeist. <laughs> oh. Or maybe the Tibetan Book of the Dead or things like this yeah. discuss you know, the soul moving towards a light, crossing... Uh, I really don't know too much or, or no, no, too many details uh, about this. So there could be similarity, but uh, you know, well, the best way for, for you to find out is you know, meditate some more and then <laughs> and then you know, compare your meditation experiences to you know, what you've read in you know, in, in that you know, Tibetan Book of the Dead. And uh, okay. If there are no more comments, questions, uh, then let us uh, end our session for tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.